This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Parshat Kitavo is dominated by the very lengthy, the very frightening and ominous detailing of the Tochacha, of the awful events, tragic events, ruinous events, of national destruction which can and might befall the Jewish people if as the Psukim say if we don't obey God if we don't heed the Torah if we do not live according to the laws of Torah we are warned that uh, we will suffer national defeat exile and all manner of um, terrible torture and terrible misfortune. And in fact, this is a depiction which takes place over something like uh, 50 psukim, 50 awful psukim, which according to tradition, the Balkore, the Torah, the person who reads the Torah, reads it quietly. They read these lines quietly, almost as if to say to... Hashem, uh, please don't do this. We're not uh, we're not recommending this to you, God. Um, please, it's as if we're saying this should never happen. Altif tachpel satan, altif Don't give God any bad ideas. So that really dominates the parsha, and before that, we hear the uh, the list of the curses which are to take place on Harival and Hargrizim. But the truth is that all of this is subsumed under a different heading completely. Let me try and uh, explain where chapter 27 fits in into the structure of Sefer Devarim and then we will talk a little bit about the amazing ceremony which is described in chapter 27, the ceremony of covenant, the ceremony of the acceptance of the law which was to take place at Mount Eval and Mount Grizim near today's Shechem. In order to understand the structure of Sefer Devarim, we have to think about it in the following way. The Book of Devarim gets its name Devarim from the fact that these are the words of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, these are the words of Moses. How does the book begin? These are the words that Moses spoke to the children of Israel in Transjordan. Um, in other words, before Moshe is going to die, he addresses the nation. And we're told the purpose of this. But Abahayardain in Parak Aleph, Pasuk Hay, it says, Moav. Across the Jordan in the land of Moav, Bo'il Moshe Be'eret HaTorah Hazot Lemor. The purpose is to explain and to detail the Torah. Thus far in Sefer Dvarim, we have two speeches of Moshe. The first speech, which really spans the first four chapters of the book, is an introductory historical review, which is uh, very carefully crafted in order to teach us the lesson that the best thing for us to do is to obey God. However, it is the second speech which is a huge, huge, lengthy um, 
speech. It spans from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 26. Perak Hay all the way to Perak Havav. That is the main speech of the book. And uh, broadly we can call this speech the Nu'um HaMitzvot, the, the mitzvah speech. It begins with the giving of the law. It begins with the Ten Commandments, chapter 5. And once we've described the source of the law, the Ten Commandments, the experience of revelation at Mount Sinai, it then moves on to detail halacha. It starts with uh, laws of emunah, laws of belief, and uh, primary amongst them is the Shema with the Ahafteh et Hashem the belief in the one God and loving God, etc. And very soon it moves on to practical mitzvot, as we have seen throughout Re'eh, Shoftim, and Kitetze. However, at the end of chapter 26, Moshe is finished with his grand speech, which details all of the law. He said in the prologue to his uh, book that this book was going to detail the law, and in fact he has finished. So what follows this amazing speech which details so much Jewish law? What follows is a covenantal ceremony. We are told here, um, and here I, I open to chapter 27 of the Sefer, um, it says here, that on the day we crossed the Yardin, on the great, on the day that we crossed the Jordan, um, into the land which God gives you, you shall set up great stones, huge stones, and you shall plaster them, and you're going to write on these stones all the words of the Torah. Um, the phrase used here is Kol Divreha Torah Hazot. As you pass over the Jordan, why? In order that you may come to the land which God has given you, the land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And uh, what are you going to do with these huge monumental stones? And when you pass over the Jordan, you shall establish these stones on Har Eval. And there, Har Eval, the mountain of Eval, and there you will build an altar to God, um, an altar made out of stone. They have to be whole stones. They mustn't be cut. And there you will bring sacrifices and rejoice before God. You're going to write the words of the Torah Be'er very clearly. And then what you're going to do is you are going to enact a ceremony um, of blessings and curses. So first of all, what is this is this is a, a quite amazing. What is the idea here? We take huge stones as we cross the Jordan. We plaster them and we write the Torah uh, on them. And as the verses say, the whole idea here is um, so that you may go into the land which God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's almost as if as we enter the land, we need to realize that there is a condition, that there is a contract of the land. And the contract is written on the very stones, the first stones we encounter when we enter into this special land. The contract is the Torah. If you want to stay in this land, you better keep the Torah. That is a very, very deep statement. However, um, many have pointed out that this ceremony 
the ceremony which takes place at Mount Eval and Mount Grizim, which are near today's Shechem. This ceremony of entry into the land is has bears striking parallels to the ceremony of Kabbalat Torah at Har Sinai. It bears a striking ceremony to the acceptance of the Torah at Mount Sinai. If you want to understand this parallel, we have to compare Devarim chapter 27 with Shemot chapter 24. And so let me explain. Um, chapter 24 of Shemot doesn't describe the day of revelation at Mount Sinai when God spoke to, to the children of Israel face to face when there was thunder and lightning and fear and the people ran away. Chapter 24 of Shemot describes uh, the next day. A day of enormous significance in which there was a ceremony of national commitment. That was the day when Am Yisrael famously said, Moshe wrote down the Ten Commandments on a scroll and he read it to the people again. And the people said, We agree, we like this Torah. And uh, what they then do is they, they make a covenant at, at Mount Sinai. And let me read a few lines from that particular chapter in order to explain what happens there. Uh, Moshe takes the Sefer Habrit, the Book of the Covenant, which he himself has written. And um, let me just uh, give you the description of the day. It says, Moshe, I'm reading from Shemot chapter 24, verse 4, Perak Haftalad, Moshe wrote all the words of God. He got up in the morning and he built an altar underneath the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, and 12 monuments for the 12 tribes. And he sent forth the youth of Bnei Israel, and they brought sacrifices, Olot and Shlamim. And then Moshe takes the blood of the sacrifices and half he pours on the altar and he takes the book of the covenant and half he throws in the direction of the people and he says here is the blood of the covenant and the people um, turn round and say Na'asev Nishma There are many points of contact between these two ceremonies At Mount Sinai we are standing at uh, the foot of a mountain Mount Eval, too, the mountain provides the backdrop for the covenant. Both at Har Sinai and Har Eval, twelve stones are set up as monuments. At both Har Sinai and Har Eval, a special altar is constructed, and the korbanot of Olah and Shlamim are offered as part of the procedure. A fourth point, in both cases there is a written covenant. In Shemot, they read aloud the Sefer Habrit. In our parsha, we have a written covenant written on these twelve rocks, these twelve huge stones, written on the plaster. Um, we don't know how much of the Torah was written there. Look at the commentaries. Rashi says the Torah was written in seventy languages. I think it's difficult to believe that the entire Torah was written seventy times on these rocks, and therefore we might have to adopt the opinion of the other Rishonim, the other Mefarshim who say that what was written on these rocks was some sort of summary of the mitzvot, maybe a listing of the Tariyag mitzvot or, or something else. More than that, in both cases, the covenant is read aloud. It's read aloud to the nation. 
on uh, Har Sinai, I said, Moshe read it to the people. Here at Har Ival and Har Grizim, Ele Yamdu al Har Grizim. Sorry, Ele Yamdu levarechet to Amal Har Grizim. The Ele Yamdu al Hakvala b'Har Ival. They, there is a group of people on Har Grizim for the bracha and on Har Ival for the kvala. Va'anu halviim and the levim have to answer. Um, they have to respond. And in both cases, we have an audience response. Here in Sefer Devarim, the people answer, Amen. At Harsinai, the people answered, Na'asev Nishma. What I'm trying to claim is that the commitment ceremony, which is to take place when the Bnei Israel enter Eretz Israel, Nishchem in Harival and Hargrizim, and by the way, the scenery there is, is breathtaking. When you actually stand on Har Grizim or Har Eval and you, you look down at Shechem and you understand the topography there, these imposing mountains are quite amazing. And uh, it was a, certainly a striking place to hold a, a, a national commitment ceremony. But we shouldn't be surprised that this ceremony which is being depicted in our Parsha reflects Har Sinai, because both events are commitment ceremonies. In both events, the nation collectively expresses its allegiance to Hashem, to Torah. The covenants at Sinai obviously signified the beginning of the road, the initial commitment to Torah. But now, at the cusp of the promised land, B'nai Israel are instructed to repeat the Brit Sinai, and in fact, uh, if you look at the closing lines of the parsha, it is absolutely explicit. Perak, the last pasuk of Perak Kavchet, uh, the end of Shishi of this week's parsha, Eile divrei habrit. These are the words of the covenant. Asher tziva Hashem Moshe lichrotet b'nei Yisrael. That God commanded Moshe to enact for b'nei Yisrael, b'eretz Moav. And they here are the key words. Milvad habrit asher karat itam b'chorev. In addition to the covenant which he had made with them at Chorev. Chorev is Harsinai. In other words, this is a renewal ceremony. It is a rerun of Kabbalat Torah at Harsinai. The command to take 12 monuments to write the Torah um, is, is aiming to recreate the commitment that the people expressed at Mount Sinai. Um, now, Again, let, let me try and explain. It is clear that this is the conclusion of the grand mitzvah speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu gives the entire list of the things that Bnei Israel are going to have to do when they get into the land. And now, as the speech closes, Moshe says, Okay, I've taught you the entire Torah, but now you have to realize that when you come into the promised land, you are going to make a ceremony where you express your commitment to Torah, and more than that, there we will have the bracha and the kala. You won't only be read the mitzvot, but you will be read the terms and conditions. And the terms of conditions are that if you keep this law, if you keep this Torah, then you will um, be blessed with good fortune, national prosperity, and all good things. But if you do not keep the law, then you will suffer national rack and ruin, you will suffer exile, doom and destruction. 
very clear contract, very clear terms and conditions. However, once we understand that this is a rerun of Harsinai, um, one question certainly comes up. And the question is this, why was there a need for a renewal of the covenant? Why did we need to enact the Brit Sinai for a second time? Is there any indication that the covenant had lapsed? Um, do we always find that the ceremonies needs to be repeated for each and every generation throughout history? And I don't think there is such a thing. I don't think we go to Harigal and Hagrizim every generation or every seven years. Hakel admittedly is every seven years and Many people think the Hakel in some ways is a miniature Harsinai. But having said that, why did this particular generation need to go to Harival and Hargrizim and to express their allegiance in this manner? And I think already if you look at the verses, there seems to be something about the fact that it is something to do with going into Eretz Israel. The fact that the description here in Perak Chavzayin says and it shall be on the day that you cross the Jordan River gives us an indication that it already gives us a clue so I think the way I phrased the question already gives the answer um, the timing is of crucial significance 12 stones are to be unveiled on the day that we cross the, the, the Yarden and in fact uh, when you read Sefer Yehoshua, you realize that these stones are lifted from the very riverbed of the of the Yarden, from the very stones, the footsteps of how they cross into the land. The ceremony is, is played out at this very auspicious juncture in our national history as we take this bold stride forward to becoming a nation, um, to having a land with agriculture, a government, an army, uh, to become a, a, a nation with their, with their own land. And it's at this moment that we proclaim our commitment to Torah Tashem. We're creating a triangle here, a triangle between the nation, the land, and uh, between God. And the connection between the nation, land, and God it happens through the Torah. Um, when we understand that our prosperity and peace and our success are, are predicated upon the fulfillment of this covenant. Now, I think there's something more happening here. And let me try and explain. I've already drawn a parallel between this covenant, the covenant at Harival and Hagrizim, and the covenant at Sinai. However, when we go into the land in the period of Yehoshua, if you read through the first eight chapters of Sefer Yehoshua, you will denote that the account by which the Bnei Israel enter the land is coloured by several events which seem to mirror the Exodus. They seem to mirror Yitzhak Mitzrayim. In other words, this isn't the only event whereby we replay a particular happening which took place in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We replay it as we enter the land. There are several such events. Let me list them, at least some of them. The most prominent event is clearly the crossing of the Yarden, the Jordan River, which uh, we don't decide to build a bridge or find some other manner of crossing over, build rafts. 
But um, instead, Hashem tells uh, Yoshua that he's going to split the Yardain. And of course, the splitting of the Jordan River is a clear reflection of Kriyat Yamsuf, of the splitting of the Red Sea. The second uh, aspect of this is that the fear that the nations feel as uh, we enter into the land and the way the fear is described is highly reminiscent of the way that um, the way that the nations were fearing Am Yisrael when we crossed the Yamsuf. In other words, it says when we crossed the Yamsuf. Likewise, the fear and dread which is cast on the Gentile nations, on the seven nations of Canaan, is reflected here. But more than that, the minute we get into the land, what do we do? We celebrate Pesach. We celebrate Pesach and we perform Brit Milah. Um, and that means that the very entry into the land, pretty much to the day, falls on the same date of the Exodus. We come into the land at precisely the moment of, uh, maybe three days earlier, four days earlier, but we come into Eretz Yisrael at, on Pesach. Why are these overlapping? More than that, when we come into the land and we cross the Yarden, the phrase comes all the time, Ki When your children say this, what is all this about? Then you will answer them. This is exactly the same language with Pesach. And last of all, we obviously have the ceremony at Har Eval and Har Grizim. And in fact, there are more parallels, but I won't go into them now. Why does the entry into the land of Bnei Israel need to be a rerun of the Exodus? Why does uh, history need to repeat itself in this in this manner? And I think the answer is pretty straightforward, but it's it's incredibly powerful. And this might already begin to explain the need for a second Har Sinai experience. When we look at God's uh, master plan, the way God had uh, had orchestrated and he had uh, drawn out the process of the exodus. The plan was to have one single motion, one single continuum, a flow of events. There was meant to be the Itziat Mitzrayim, Kret Yamsuf, Har Sinai, Eret Yisrael. It was to have been uh, sort of a single procedure. We were meant to have experienced the ten plagues, see the fear of the Egyptians, come out of Mitzrayim B'yad Ramah with an outstretched hand, crossed the Red Sea through miracles and wonders, received the man, come through the, the wilderness, accept the Torah, and march straight, straight straight to Eretz Israel. It didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way because of the sin of the golden calf. It didn't happen that way because of the sin of the spies. And the whole process of travelling through the wilderness became delayed and protracted endlessly, such that by the time we are finished, we, we did not follow God's itinerary. No, that the, we, the, the generation who left Egypt were not the generation who entered into the land of Israel. And the generation who came in, the Ba'e Ha'aretz, the people who came into Eretz Israel, unfortunately were not the Yotze'e Mitzrayim. The idea was to create a Mamlechet Kohanim V'goy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation who would have naturally moved from from Mount Sinai to Knisala Aretz. 
and uh, the idea was clearly the establishment of a society which would reflect the values of holiness, justice, righteousness, the values of Sinai in Eretz Israel. But as I say, it didn't happen this way. And now the generation who enter Eretz Israel are not the ones who experience the Yitziat Mitzrayim. They aren't the ones who walk through the Yam Suf and they didn't stand and say Na'asevanishma at Har Sinai. So how are we going to how are we going to bridge this gap? The answer is clear. God orchestrates a mini Yitziat Mitzrayim. Instead of crossing the Yamsuf, they cross the Yarden. They celebrate Pesach uh, when they enter the land. Instead of eating the matzah as they leave Egypt, they eat the matzah as they enter Israel. And instead of Har Sinai, they are taken to Har Eval and Har Grizim, a similarly impressive backdrop, and they play out a covenantal ceremony um, in order to express their commitment to God as they enter the land. The first generation wouldn't have needed this. They had already stood at the foot of Har Sinai. But this generation have not stood there. And therefore the idea is to enter the land with a forceful moment of national commitment. But of course here, I have one concluding question, which is a very troubling question. And it's difficult to resolve. Um, And that is, if the ceremony is happening, when we enter into the land, why do we hear so much about it in Sefer Debarim? Or maybe I will phrase the question differently. When did the covenant sort of take place? On the one hand, we're informed that the covenant is to happen after the crossing of the Arde and after the entry into Canaan. Um, it is clear that that covenantal ceremony did transpire. Take a look at uh, Sefer Yoshua, Parakhet. Um, but on the other hand, it is—it almost sounds from our parsha Shavuah that this covenant took place not in Eretz Israel, but in Transjordan. I think we read the pasuk before, Perak Devarim, Perak Kafchet, pasuk Samachet. Ela Direi Abida Shetziva Hashem et Moshe Lichrotet Bnei Israel BeEretz Moav. This is the covenant which they made in the land of Moav. So, or. If you look at the beginning of Parshat Nitzavim, You are standing here this day before the Lord your God. To pass through the covenant of God and His curse, which God enacts with you today. In other words, it would appear that Moshe, in Arvot Mo'av, in Transjordan, um, enacted a covenant of Moab. So, when exactly did it happen? Did the ceremony take place in Arvot Moab or in Eretz Israel? Was it Moshe who conducted the covenantal moment here, or was it Yahushua? Uh, what what is going on? There's there's no doubt that the Tochacha is a text of a covenantal nature, and it is entirely possible that the and probable, and so says Sevier Shur, that the covenant ceremony takes place in Eretz Israel. but then what exactly is happening here in Arvot Mo'av? And the Psukim are confusing, they lead us in contradictory directions. Um, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to solve this problem? I think the most uh, simple answer is that really there were two covenantal ceremonies. 
One was spoken to the people by Moshe um, before he died. And the second was the ceremony at Harival and Hargrizim, which was uh, enacted by Yoshua. But of course, then this begs the question, why does this need to happen twice? What is, what is, what is going on here? And therefore, um, I think we need to answer this, uh, this question. Some years ago, I heard a, a lovely solution to this problem from a friend of mine and a master teacher of Tanakh, Rav Yonatan Grossman. And he suggested that the true ceremony takes place, obviously, in Sefer Yehoshua, uh, where Yehoshua enacts the ceremony at, on the soil of Eretz Yisrael. And yet, uh, the, the entire program, the entire um, order of events of the ceremony is described in painstaking detail in the Torah, and, and the answer to the question is why. And he, he, he explained it very simple, simply. If Yoshua was to have orchestrated a covenant that nobody had heard about after the entry to the land, there would be a danger that it would be perceived not as a continuity to Moshe, not as a perpetuation of Moshe's legacy, but rather as a new chapter, as a, a, as a new covenant, as a revolution, as a digression. People would have associated the ceremony of Harival and Hagrizim with the period of Yehoshua, and they would have felt that they left Moshe's tradition back in the Midbar. And then, of course, two reactions would be possible. Either Yoshua could be rejected, Chas Shalom, as betraying Moshe's tradition, establishing his own covenant, or alternatively, the people might uh, feel they have jettisoned the Torah Israel of Moshe, the Torah Moshe, and adopted a new, a new covenant. And each generation there should be a new covenant. But we, we don't believe that. We believe that Moshe Emet, the Torah to Emet, and that the Torah that we keep to this day is still. And so what happens? In order to achieve the continuity and the ongoing tradition, the Torah deliberately creates an overlap. The Torah deliberately obscures the boundary between the covenant of Moshe and that of Yehoshua, between the covenant of Arvot Moav and the covenant of Har'eval. The covenantal ceremony will be performed in Eretz Yisrael by Yoshua, but the fact that its instruction is given so clearly by Moshe, and the fact that Moshe almost talks as if he is making the covenant with the people, as if he is enacting this commitment ceremony, um, even though we know that the grand finale will be at Harival, in this way there is a sense of continuity um, between Moshe to Yoshua and uh, the Authenticity is, is, is preserved, the continuity is generated, and now we have a covenant which is embedded in Eretz Israel, but that its roots um, draw from the personality, from the experience of Moshe, linking Har Sinai with, with, with Eretz Israel. So, what I want to say is that uh, far from feeling that this parsha is uh, a parsha in the dark shadow of the Tochacha, we should see at the centerpiece, at the center point of this week's parsha Shavua, the amazing ceremony of Harival and Hagrizim, a ceremony which is unveiled by Moshe, which is enacted by Yehoshua, 
which is the finale of Moshe's grand speech of the mitzvah speech, once we've now had uh, something like uh, 20, 21, 22 chapters of, about mitzvot, it is now time to express our allegiance to these mitzvot. However, we're not going to express our allegiance in the Midbar, even though this ceremony reflects Har Sinai, it is going to be um, performed. Am Israel are going to take that Pledge of Allegiance in the hills and valleys of Eretz Israel, at Har Eval and Har Grizim, um, in order to say that the, the very important message that our tenure in Eretz Israel, our continued habitation in Eretz Israel, is contingent upon our keeping of Torah Israel, of Torah Tashem. Thank you very much, and I look forward to learning together with you again uh, next week.